You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, and I am talking today with Guy Cortan. Guy, how are you? Matt, how are you doing? I am doing well. Um, as always, I'm thinking about the supply chain, but I guess that's sort of what happens when you do what we do. It is. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make a bad joke about, you know, you being pretty uh, laser focused and uh, just kind of stuck in your supply chain mom's basement, but that's okay. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't have to go there. But for those of you in the audience, just imagine a control center where I'm just viewing the world and manipulating the supply chain and making things flow. And just watching boats and trucks and rail and factories, all that That's just right. churning away. Just always on. So many screens. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but um, I want to bring up a report that kind of looks at supply chain a little bit differently. I think we often look at the global impact of supply chain and how businesses source and make and move products across the world versus across individual countries. But there's a new report out from AZ Carney that caught my eye today about the age of multilocalism, the fact that supply chains are not just global and that the move toward globalization might be kind of retracting a little bit as businesses recalibrate the way that they create and move products in a changing world. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, Matt, that I think those supply chain nerds like myself and you that have been in this space for a while, I think we've started to see that trend really happen, I'd say in the past five to 10 years. You know, it's gone from outsourcing to now nearshoring, right? Where we're bringing things back in closer to the consumer, closer to the point of sale, closer to your home market. And it's really this relocalization, I guess, of parts of the supply chain. And, you know, I, I always use the cliche, I think it's, they say it in politics or in other things, you know, think globally, act locally, right? And I think even like in politics, right, it's all politics or locals. And I think the same thing can start to be said about supply chains is we truly are seeing sort of a, I don't want to say a swing back. I don't think it necessarily was the pendulum did not swing so far to the side of pure globalization. But I think we're starting to see the pendulum come back where the notion of localization for things like manufacturing, distribution, warehousing, storage, sourcing, and all that is becoming more of a um, acceptable business strategy for supply chains. And I think that's a good thing. And I also think it, it makes a lot of sense in terms of you know the bigger trend that we always talk about, right, which is the the notion of, of consumerization, the notion of consumers like the two of us and others in our listening audience having the power when it comes to that relationship with our, you know, our retailers, our brands, even our B2B companies. So I think it's, um, it's not a huge surprise, but it is interesting to see some of the statistics from that report. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, from a pure consumer perspective, uh, we've been seeing some of this stuff for a while, but it's been much smaller sort of local movements, right? Like, buying food that was grown locally, going to a restaurant that sources from a farm nearby, maybe even buying new clothes that were made in the U.S. versus who knows where, because you have a little bit more of a tangible tie to where those things are made. But we're also seeing now a new world of geopolitical risk, frankly. We've talked about the trade wars and escalating tariffs between the U.S. and China, but it's not just those two countries. A lot of others in the world are escalating their own protective measures. Yeah, and I, I and not to get too much into the 
sort of political science world of it. And, and you know, for those of you who know me, you know, I, I actually started out in the world of political science. So this topic is near and dear to my heart. But I do think there's, you know, if, if I were to just put my my old political analysis hat on is you, you're absolutely right. I think we've, we've seen from a geopolitical standpoint, a major shift in the past 10, 20 years. Obviously, we know, you know, and now this goes way back. But right at the end of the Cold War, you all of a sudden no longer had two superpowers. You went down to one. You had one massive hegemon, which is the United States. And, and it's been, you know, not to get into the politics of it too much, but it's been struggling to figure out exactly what its place and its role is in the, in the world. And then you have another nation, that being China, who, if you study China, you realize like they definitely have the, uh, as we say, the long play in mind, where they don't think in terms of, you know, business cycles quarterly or yearly or or political cycles every two or four years. They think in terms of centuries. So they're thinking, you know, that this has been just a, a the path of the journey for them that's been going on now for centuries. And they aren't going to abide by sort of, in air quotes here, the political standards that were established post-World War II. And they're definitely looking at, again, establishing themselves, which they think is their rightful place in the middle kingdom of you know being a, a superpower, which they are. And I think it's sort of having the massive effect on then our supply chains because – if we look at the trend that we saw in the 70s and 80s of you know starting to move to outsourcing in more in the 90s because we were seeking when i say we i mean mostly large you know multinational brands and companies were seeking that low cost you know labor close proximity to affordable resources raw materials well, all that has changed, right? Because now, you know, anybody who's been to China or who lives in China realizes that, you know, the middle class there, the upper class have absolutely taken on a much different impact than it was 20 years ago. The buy power has increased, you know, the living standard has increased. So you no longer can find that low cost labor. It's now moved to places like Vietnam and Bangladesh. And now you've got more regionalized, you know, sort of economic issues between places like in Asia, between China and United States, in Europe, between the EU, uh, United States and Eastern Europe, the Middle East, you know, sub, you know, Africa, where China's playing a big role there, South America, you name it. So I think it all of a sudden, you know, re maybe not a localized focus, but it reshines the light on regionalized focuses of supply chain, which I think then inherently goes down to, okay, if we're going to look at regional then we not need to start looking even more local. Right. And so if you look at this report, there's only 11% of companies as a result that don't plan to look at localization in some form. And many of them are either exploring those options or implementing right now. It's an interesting thing to see because you have these other dynamics happening in the world. Obviously, businesses don't control those, but they can react and respond and start to adjust how they set themselves up for that new paradigm. So what's the next step, though? It seems that localization can happen in certain pockets, but you still are somewhat dependent on some amount of globalization. Is it about finding balance, or can you really look at a goal of really shrinking the supply chain and being a sustainable and profitable brand? You know, it's it's. I think I'm going to use the cliched answer. It depends, because I I really do think it it depends on what supply chains we're talking about. It also depends on what the types of products are. 
And I think in a way, and this is something I would you know push to the audience to challenge themselves to think about, is there a strategic opportunity for you to take your business and to maybe focus just on the localized supply chain because maybe that's your differentiator? Or do you still need to have a massive global view? Or is there a hybrid version of it where there's certain aspects of it that you leverage the efficiencies of being more global, but then you you know focus on the differentiation on a localized level? Let's take, for example, a simple product like T-shirts, right? Maybe if the ability to source your cotton and do mass bulk production of basic T-shirts in places like Bangladesh is what gets you efficiencies in your supply chain, but you want to localize the assortment, you want to localize the final production of that T-shirt in a certain region, maybe that's what differentiates you. You know, maybe what it is is, you know, you you want to sell a specific kind of print and T-shirt in the Northeast United States compared to what you would do in, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa or what you would do uh, in you know, your market in Brazil. So I think there's an aspect of that, which I think we've already seen, right? We've already, we already understand that, especially if you look at, you know, like CP and you look at food production, you look at, you know, you you talk to like an ocean spray and, you know, they are absolutely laser aware down to the zip code, like the United States, like what flavors appeal to what demographic that shop in what stores, and they're going to adjust their, you know, flavor, and their packaging to that market. But what they want to do is obviously take advantage of scale when it comes to producing, you know, their bulk liquids and their bulk flavors and all that. So I think we've already seen that. I think the challenge for supply chains now becomes how precise and how localized do you want to get? Does it make sense? Does it provide you an advantage and a competitive advantage? Or are you just chasing pennies when you should just be focusing on the dollars? And I think that's the the challenge. I think it's also the opportunity out there for you know brands and supply chains and retailers and and B two B companies to really start thinking about that. You know where where do you take advantage of the globalization in terms of reach, in terms of sourcing, in terms of cost efficiencies, in terms of new markets? But then where do you have to apply sort of the I would say the art form of it, which is a localized side, right? You know, how localized do you want to get? Do you want to go down to zip code? Do you want to go down to street address type localization? Do you want to go to region? Do you want to go to, you know, nations? Do you want to go to East Coast, West Coast, Western Europe, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, Australia type type localization? So I think that's the that's the part I think is um, is interesting. It's a challenge, but I think it's it's absolutely, you know, it's it's certainly not one size fits all. Sure. And, and, and I think something that, you know, we'd be remiss in not addressing, especially because of what we do, is that technology seems to be a great enabler of a lot of these moves right now. If you look at things like 3D printing, which can shorten the supply chain and really put production very close and very fast near the consumers. Or if you look at automation and robotics in, say, your warehouses as a means of reducing labor costs and becoming more efficient in how you move goods to stores or to consumers or to other businesses that you work with. It helps offset those costs. But of course, you know, the other thing is simply being able to move quickly with new suppliers and to be able to do so with 
financial supply chain technology would be another area where you can quickly get on board with a new supplier, make sure that the financing is secure and happening at a low enough cost that it makes sense for all parties, and onboard people in new markets or even near markets much faster. I know it's something that we've talked about at length on these podcasts and, and through some of our other you know, thought leadership pieces, and I agree 100%. I think it's imperative for supply chains to have that level of flexibility. And I do think that you know, to have that level of flexibility, it also starts with having as rich a level of visibility of your supply chain as possible. Because as you said, to be able to be nimble and to act quickly, whether it's at a local level or at a global level, you have to understand, you know, what's happening within that supply chain. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, we think about and you see is what happens if you're, you know, you're, you're looking to enter a new market and, you know, you need to uh, onboard a new distributor and you need to ensure that distributor has, you know, the right types of warehousing for you, possibly the right types of transportation, you know, nodes for you. Even down to potentially the labor, right? Is that distributor, is that asset trustworthy in terms of its labor practices? You know, things of that nature. And I think if you don't have a way of quickly ascertaining whether or not it fits the criteria you're looking for, then you're going to spend time or you're going to waste time really trying to do that. And as we know, again, because we're about cliches, time is money, but even more so in the supply chain world and even more so when you're looking for things like localized knowledge, you know, if you need someone on the ground in, in say Phoenix, Arizona, that knows that market better than the person that's sitting in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, right? Things that even down to that level, I also don't think the technology is a panacea, but I think does the technology allow you or enable you to move just that much more quickly and that much more efficiently than without it? It's a tool Right, it's still a tool. It still has to be taken in with regards to everything else you're doing, and obviously your personnel and your people and your operations and your systems and all that. But I actually do agree. I think it's an absolute necessary part of the equation. Yeah, no, it's it's all part of that greater ecosystem. And as you change your supply chain, you have to consider the tools and the people that can help make that happen. Transformation, as we say, is a big journey. All right, Guy. Uh, been another enlightening episode. Anything else that strikes you with this trend? Is it something that we're going to continue to see over the years or will it change as so many things do with time? You know, I think it's going to only continue to change. And, and the reason I say that, and again, I don't, I apologize for hijacking this and turning this into a uh, uh, international relations 101 discussion, but I do think the geopolitics of it is going to play a huge factor in it. I think that you know we've we've moved away from a bipolar world. We've moved away from a hegemonic world. We've, we're moving into a much more regionalized political environment, and also one that has a tremendous amount of influence from NGOs, so non-government organizations. So, with that in mind, I think it's just gonna it's gonna create much more turmoil, but uncertainty in what that means in terms of the rules and sort of the processes that people take on when it comes to global trade in terms of commerce, things like that. All you have to look at is is things like Brexit and what it's doing in the European Union. You just have to look, as you mentioned in the beginning, 
the, the activity that's happening between this current administration in the United States and trade partners like China or even like Mexico and Canada. Now multiply that by the amount of regions we have in the world. You know, I think you see the complexity will only grow. And I think that, you know, this trend in the near term, I think will only continue. The uncertainty, unfortunately, has become such that it is becoming, and it always has been, but I think it's becoming much more so a disruptor or a potential disruptor the supply chains must absolutely play or take into consideration when they're looking at, you know, their long-term and even short-term planning and, and execution. But again, you know, globalization, all this has always put the world in some level of turmoil. Uh, it's just a matter of the smart supply chains are the ones that recognize that while there is disruption, within disruption is opportunity. And the ones that can take advantage of that, I think the ones that will find themselves ahead of the game, if you will. But, you know, I think it all goes back to, you know, this notion of growing importance of having a, a finger on the pulse of what's happening as much as you can. And, Again, really knowing or planning for possible disruptions and, and then you know taking advantage where you can and, and mitigating as much risk as you can in other places. Yeah, and uh, certainly with disruptions and risk, uh, that's a topic we'll hit on one of the next episodes as we are getting into hurricane season here in the North uh, America region. And um, obviously, uh, we're seeing all kinds of different things happening all the time. So we'll save that one for next time. But Guy, for this one, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Matt, as always, a pleasure talking to you. And, and apologies for making this into a political science one-on-one podcast. But I thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, absolutely, Guy. I, you know, I think that this is a good forum to uh, be able to express some of that and look at all of the angles beyond just what's right in front of us. So for all of you in listener land, thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Supply Chain Radio. Be sure to find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. 